Welcome. Welcome. What sort of person is named Rup Zoyat? It's the Improbable Research Podcast. I'm Mark Abrams, editor of the magazine Annals of Improbable Research. This is all about research that makes people laugh, then think. If you like what you hear today, consider supporting us at our website, improbable.com. Here is psychologist and linguistics pioneer Jean Burko Gleason, who, by the way, is the inventor of the WUG W-U-G test, the WUG test, and is the world's only Gene Burko Gleason. What sort of person is named Rup Zoyat? That's the question, and we're going to explore it with improbable dramatic readings by Gene Burko Gleason. What sort of person is named Rup Zoyat? In 1916, the year 1916, a researcher at Cornell University asked that very question and conducted an experiment to find the answer. The researcher was herself named G. English. We only know her first initial. The published paper doesn't give her first name. G. English, who wanted to understand what she called the nature of the psychological response to proper names of unknown persons. What are proper names, Jean? What does that generally mean? Well, it is a name of a person or a place or a thing that is singular. It's not a generic. It's it's a particular one you're it's, referring to. It's somebody's formal name. It's somebody's I, name or the name of a place. Yeah, not Chucky or that kind Unless of thing. Unless it's Chuck E. Cheese, and Chuck E. Cheese is a proper noun, but not very proper place. Now, this question that G. English asked is a question Shakespeare made famous by stating it in a mere four and a half words. That form of the question is, what's in a name? In particular, G. English wanted to test a theory proposed by a Swiss psychologist named Edouard Claparet. The theory says that... Other things equal, names consisting of heavy or repeated syllables call forth images of fat heavy-set, bloated, or slightly ridiculous individuals. A short and sonorous name, on the other hand, suggests slender and active persons, etc. That's the theory of Edouard Claparet, and G. English, to test it, concocted 50 names that she described as being nonsense names. G. English made these nonsense names by sticking together syllables she chose at random. Then she tested the names on eight people. Here's how she described her experiment. Each name was pronounced three times over, the experimenter being careful to pronounce it slowly, distinctly, and as nearly as possible, always in the same manner. Then the observer was asked to describe the person that must belong to that name. We have here the list of 50 names. Jean, looking over that list, which you've just seen now for the first time, correct? Yes. How would you describe what you're seeing? It looks as if uh, she's chosen syllables that are kind of unpronounceable, and a lot of them look as if they belong to, uh, uh, like, American Indian languages, words with lots of X's and Q's in them. But um, none of them look like actual names. Very, very few of them. There are a few of them. There are a few of them that could be people's names that you might actually have seen somewhere. There are a lot of accent marks on these names. Yeah, and we don't know what those accent marks refer to. So I think that in reading them, we should just assume that they're the usual kinds of accent marks. That if there's an accent aigu, you know, a a, a great, acute accent, that it's an 
a, you know, over an e, etc. Then we should give it the usual pronunciation. Not we, you. You're going okay. to be giving it. Okay, but that's okay. It's just that some of them, there's no telling what she had in mind because she's got like circumflexes over some stuff. Now, I think you're probably better equipped to give this a try than most people in the world. You speak quite a few languages and you speak bits and pieces or more than bits and pieces of a lot of languages, mm-hmm. don't you? Yes, I do. Roughly how many? Just a bunch. What's a bunch? A fistful. More than 600? <laughs> no, but it just depends on what you, you know, I, it, it's very hard to count things like that. All right, but say 50 languages? I don't know, a, a bunch. Here are the 50 names listed in this experiment as read at first sight by Jean Burko Gleason. Cherin, Poisher, Killum, Koikert, Vazal, Daufisp, Zoke, Spren, Dauto, Rupzoyat, Blag, Lislix, Taskupin, Kurfaumish, Genra. Let me interrupt for a minute. Are you okay? You sound <laughs> almost <laughs> ill, these sounds that are coming out of your mouth. I'm sorry? Is it bad? No, no, it just... Uh, it's, never... This is what they look like. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to a list of 50 nonsense constructed names constructed in the year 1916 as an experiment. Jean Burko Gleason is attempting to read these names and give them her interpretation of what the names might sound like. We left off with Genras, Thacho, Brob, Zoitu, Koldak, Murbix, Chermtaugonkov, could you spell that one? C-H-E-R-M-T-G-A with an accent A-Q-W-K-O-N-V. I mean, these are random syllables that she put together. Mm-hmm. All right, and you pronounce that name again? Chermtkalkonf. If you had to pronounce it some alternate way, what would be your first choice as an well, alternate? Well, you might pronounce the ch with a h. You might say Chermtkalkonf. And if that turned out to be wrong, what would be your next choice for pronouncing <laughs> I, I, it? I'm not sure what I would do with it because, you know, I mean, conv is actually a, a morpheme that means something in some languages. So Continue with oh, the list, list, please. Oh, bopum, vushap, grib, wat shoikwal, moiki, hoxzauhuk, gautu, zeta, gausu, desnep, wito, tobomf, mavkwapunt. How do you spell that one? Mav qua punt is M A with an accent A G V Q U A W P U with an accent circumflex N T. Now I don't know why she put circumflexes there because historically the circumflex usually means that the word used to have an S in it, like the French word tet. T-E with the circumflex T-E came from the Latin testa, the, the S is missing. Okay, so I don't know what she has in mind here. The mav quapunt used to be mav quapunst or something. It's very bizarre. And for anybody listening who may not quite be sure what a circumflex is, how oh, would you describe that? It's a little that? roof. It's a little roof on top. You know, it's a little pointy roof. On top of the letter. On top of the letter. The and it letter. usually means that historically the earlier version of that word had an S in it. Could you pronounce this name again? Mav Quapunt. And the U and the punt is 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 got a circumflex. Now could you pronounce it as if you're happy to see this person? You haven't seen this person in years and you just a mauquapunt. Let's continue with the okay. list. Stisk, Taubant, Taku, Skampth, Quadnumeth, Brunoi, Drup, 
Goklal, Puff Mudge, Spucks. How do you spell Spucks? Spucks, S-P-U-X. You could do it Spucks or Spooks. But if I said Spooks, then you'd think I was talking about the NSA again. Mm -hmm. uh, G-Skel, Snemth, Thub Torkarnth, Lynn Raywex, Grunch, and Toopjaws. Those are the 50 nonsense names that, terrible. that uh, this experimenter G. English created, concocted in 1916. And that was a daring reading at first sight by Jean Burko Gleason. G. English also asked the observers, the ones that she showed these names to in 1916, to try to spell the names back to her. She read them aloud. Here I'm having you look at the printed stuff and read it, but she read them aloud and then asked people to speak them back. She didn't care whether they got the spelling right. She just wanted to ensure that they heard her, G. English, saying these things clearly. The results disappointed her. In only five cases was there anything like agreement among all the observers as to sex or other characteristics. Rup Zoyat was reported as a young man by all observers. Bopum was said to be a tall, fat, or large man by six observers. Is that how those names strike you also? Well, Bopum, it has a round feeling to it, but that's because it has that big round sound in it. And Rup Zoyat? I don't know. See, that just really sounds kind of Russian, doesn't it? In 1916, when G. English did this, she said that of the eight observers... Five thought Zete must be a girl. Six reported Grib as a small man, and five reported Kurd Falmish as a stronger big man. For all the remainder, there was disagreement. How do you spell Kurd Falmish? Kurd Falmish. K-I, again with an X and circumflex, R-D, and then an apostrophe, again for no known reason, F-A-U-M-I-S-H, Kurd Famish. If I may say, you're being rather judgmental about this name. I am, because it's a terrible, it's a terrible selection, unless she had a rationale for what she was doing. You know, you can't pronounce a circumflex. How would she expect somebody to repeat back or spell back to her a word with a circumflex in it, since there is no pronunciation for that particular diacritic? You seem a bit irked by well, this. Well, I person. am irked by the poor design of this experiment. G. English has been dead for a long time. I'm sorry. Is, I, I apologize a, to the a, memory of that, the person. No, you don't. Is that a pleasing fact to you that G. English is no longer with <laughs> no, us? No, I'd never be happy that somebody's dead, Okay. G. English decided that there is no constant or uniform tendency among these observers to imagine a similar type of individual for the same name. She mused about the way Charles Dickens, the novelist Charles Dickens, played with nonsense names, but she concluded that maybe Dickens, maybe all of us, only occasionally see a person's name as some sort of guide to their nature. We know that Dickens came to evolve the name Chuzzlewit through Sweezleden, Sweezleback, Sweezlewag, Chuzzletoe, Chuzzleboy, Chubblewig, and Chuzzlewig. The name was significant to him, and yet there were various types of Chuzzlewit as there were various types of Nickleby. Indeed, the applicability of a surname to all members of a family must, one would suppose, tend to prevent our attaching any special import to the name's physiognomy. Let me ask you a question or two. 
you have been a teacher for many years. Hmm. You've had thousands and thousands of students. And the first day of school, usually you're confronted with a classroom or several classrooms Mm -hmm. full of people you've never seen. And sometimes you meet them, I'm guessing, by reading off the list of names. Mm -hmm. Thinking back over all of the classes that you've greeted this way, were there times as you were reading through that list of names that you had some expectation as you were reading the name of what the person looked like? I think there would be, but that would be based on ethnicity. In other words, if if it was a Russian name, I might expect a Russian-looking person. Or if it was a French name, I might expect it to be a French-type person. What would happen if the name was a name you couldn't in any way identify with any nationality? Yeah, well, I think that what would happen would be that if there were parts of the well, can I make up a name for you? Sure. Let's say you read down your list and you see that somebody's name is something like Mugzuzi. Okay. Mugzuzi? Mugzuzi. I just made that up. How do you spell that? M-U-G-Z-O-O-Z-Y. Any accent marks? No, no. Mugzuzi, just like that. Now, if you heard that somebody was named Mugzuzi, it's a kind of silly sounding name. If there are any Mugzuzis out there, I apologize. But it is a kind of silly sounding name. So you might expect somebody named Mugzuzi to, you know, be kind of Mugzuzi-ish. Have you run across a few people or more than a few people whose names provoked confusion. They apparently went through life and every time somebody knew, heard their name. Actually, you uh, raised something that I do have experience with is that I used to give out the degrees in the department at commencement. So I would be in the position of having to call off, say, 350 students' names as they walked across the stage. And their parents were in the audience. So you didn't really want to mess up their name. The parents had spent $200,000 to send their kid to school, and at the last minute, Somebody messes up their name. And there were occasions when other people did this job when parents became very, very angry. So we actually set up a system where we asked ahead of commencement for the students to contact us. By the time we had email, we would send an email to everybody and say, please, if your name is confusing, if it's an EI name, we need to know if it's pronounced riser or Reeser. Friedman or Friedman or whatever you want to call it. Uh, And some of the names that were most confusing were names that would be ordinarily pronounced in a particular way in another language. For instance, if somebody's name is spelled J-O-S-E. There were kids whose names were spelled Jose like that, but they called themselves Josie. So you had to know things like that. So yeah, there were plenty of places where it was confusing. And then I would always unless I was told otherwise, pronounce the name as best I could in the language that it was in. And I was really happy after commencement one time because a pair of parents came up to me and they said to me, you speak Polish. And I was very happy because I had done their kid's name right. You remember the name? I don't, but I just remember the people saying with the Polish accent, you speak Polish. And I thought, oh, God, I did it right. I felt good about that. Do you have any favorite names? Oh, I don't have I have unfavorite words, as you perhaps know, but I or, words I hate, but uh, I don't have favorite names. Are any of those words sometimes cropping up as somebody's name? Well, if they do, I would find it very disgusting. For example? Well, if somebody was named Luscious, for instance, I think Luscious would be a pretty disgusting name, don't you? Can or, you imagine somebody who would, who would feel that that's a Luscious name? Well, I mean, there, there was, wasn't there a character in literature recently called Precious? You know, I mean, there are people who do have names like that. What other names would bother you? 
Well, again, they're not people names. They're names like succulent. I mean, you have succulents growing in the garden, and that doesn't particularly bother me, but the word succulent bothers me. What else? I hate succulent. Hubby. Anybody who's called anybody's hubby, I hate. Don't you think it's awful when somebody says, I have a hubby? What if that turned out to be somebody's family name? Interestingly enough, it probably wouldn't bother you very much. Any other name that would disgust you? <sighs> I think it's the food names that really bother me most. So if that... someone were named Soft Boiled Egg? Oh, yeah. Well, nobody gets to be named Soft Boiled Egg. <laughs> they would be named Sulfurous. <laughs> That's what Soft Boiled Eggs smell like. They're sulfurous. But uh, no, I... I, I, I they don't come to mind right away, although I do have a list somewhere of words that I really hate, and I add to it from time to time. It's called Words I Hate. What brought you to create this list? Well, just periodically, I run across a word that I really hate, and I want to have it on my list so that I can remember, but now I'd have to look the list up. Next week, if we can find that list, we're going to feature Jean Brooke Gleason reading from the list of words that disgust her. Okay. You've been listening, if you've been listening, to a genuine episode of the Improbable Research Podcast. What sort of person is Rup Zoyat? I wish I could tell you. I invite you to subscribe to our magazine, The Annals of Improbable Research. Six new issues a year. Get yourself some back issues, too. If you go to our website, you can look up lots of details about the Ig Nobel Prizes, upcoming events, what's in the back issues of the magazine, and about how you can help and be part of it via our Patreon. All this at our website, improbable.com. It's possible that Seth Glixman is the improbable production assistant. Next time on this podcast, we will look at something or other. Until then, then. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>